Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. My next guest is Tom LaBelt. It's tough to summarize all the change that Tom has navigated in his life. And in our discussion, we talk about the many dimensions of change that made him who he is today. From his early years when he and his family escaped from communist Poland to come to the US, to his hip hop career in New York City, to his documentary filmmaking, and his success as a businessman and entrepreneur. Our conversation naturally finds its way around the world and back again. We covered a lot of territory on change in this episode, and I know already that I will have Tom back on for a part two in 2021. Till then, enjoy the discussion with Tom LaBelt. Would love to start off with just the kind of you talked about obviously being 11 in Poland and, and escaping. Um, I actually moved to Poland uh, October 1st, 1990. I was 12 um, wow. and moved there that's from a, the States. So that's around when we moved out. It was in 1990. Is it? Okay. That's, what, too, yeah. that's so crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I, I thought like it would be awesome to start there because like what are the chances that you know, the world brings different people together and, you know, you come, somebody connects me to you and it turns out that we probably were in Poland the same time I was moving there. You were moving to the U S I was moving from the U S to Poland. You were moving from Poland to the U S. So it's just interesting, right? Yeah. Maybe at the airport. Possibly. It was a much smaller (laughs) airport back then. I tell you, man, I remember airport now. The worst airport now is crazy. Like I was there, um, gosh, I, I was there th- two or three times in the past three years because, um, my, uh, my husband was in the Peace Corps and he served in Ukraine for three years. And so he was in Lviv. And when I would go visit him in Lviv, uh, I'd have to either stop in, uh, Munich, Warsaw or Vienna. And so I stopped in Warsaw a few times and I just couldn't believe how different the city looked from the years that I lived there between 1990 and 1992. Yeah, it's beautiful. But, you know, just for the listeners, you know, Warsaw has two airports. Mm-hmm. And if you miss the main airport, you're going to go into a really crappy airport that's like 60 minutes away. And you yeah. can only get a SIM card after 8 p.m. So I made that mistake once. Oh, and really? Yeah, I just want to stress that there's a proper airport and then there's one which kind of um, only does... European flights for the most oh, part. Right. So this was coming mm-hmm. from Lisbon. But I yeah, I, I went to the wrong airport and I definitely paid for it because I, I was like I couldn't get a hold of anyone. Everything was shut down after 8 p.m. I was like, this is ridiculous. And it was like 45, 50 minutes away from Warsaw, which was like an hour mm-hmm. away from the center. And I'm like, yeah. So the other airport you're talking about, the main one, the I think Chopin. Yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, but that actually describes the whole country, you know, because I, right. I went back after like 20 years and within the last five years, I went multiple times. Um, the center of Warsaw, where I usually stay at, beautiful, super advanced. Gyms have scanners, um, like t- body scanners to let you in. 
drivable ATMs, everything. You drive out 30 minutes out, hmm, the buildings are colored and painted, you know, but everything else is kind of, you know, getting a little worse. And then when you drive to the rest of the country, which we made the mistake of doing, visiting family, things don't work anymore. You know, like, just, it, it, it's almost like you go back 15 years. Right. Just by going, you know, a couple hours out. So it's like that airport, right? Like every they, everything's beautiful in certain spots. Right. And then, you know, if you go like to like Eastern Poland, like to a small town, like nothing changed. It's still complete garbage. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's just about funding, right? That's, you know, like right. where, where it yeah. went. But, but that country really looks like there's a disparity, a huge disparity between mm-hmm. how some people live and how the majority lives. Yeah, I'd love to kind of just start there. I mean, obviously, your early years, you saw a great deal of change. And the the whole the whole focus of this podcast when I connect with people is um, how they how they lead and change. And so when you think about you being 11 years old and you and your family leaving Poland or escaping communist Poland, um, I mean, there's no there's no lack of change in that experience. And so when you think about that um, can you share some of the changes you saw or you remember from those years and then what it was like to come to the U.S.? So Poland was interesting, right? Like for me as a kid, it was fine. It was completely fine. Like we could run freely around, you know, wherever we wanted to. You know, we had, we lived in a city, so the neighborhood had maybe 15, 16 kids and we just went pretty wild. You know, no one kept track of us, no phones, like, you know, freedom. Right. Um, but the, the, the times I've seen um, that Poland wasn't maybe as great is like where my dad would bring like catalogs with toys from Germany, for example. And I'm like, oh, man, this is incredible. Like, you know, it'd be like a 300-page catalog. But I'd go to a store in Poland, the, the toy store, and they have like two stickers, right? There's nothing. Right. Nothing at all. Right. Empty shelves. Empty shelves. And I'm like, okay, well, this sucks. But anyways, you know, I'm a kid. Fine. Going back to the, you know, street and just playing around with the kids. Um, but you couldn't buy really anything proper, right? So that was one thing. Even with movies, right? Like you'd see some movie in a magazine and be like, well, this this is not anything I can watch. It's not playing at the movie theaters here. We, you know, VHS expensive. I don't know if it's even dubbed. You know, mm-hmm. like when my parents got the satellite, we used to watch things in like German and English. I didn't understand almost any of it, but it was where I seen, you know, finally, like, I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot of other stuff than just what we're kind of forced to watch. You know, another thing, which, you know, in America was a huge change for me, the dentist, you know, mm-hmm. in Poland, I would get things ripped out and, and fixed without anesthesia. Wow. Right. Oh, man. And you were a kid. You're like, I was just, a kid, man. It was trauma. Yeah. Trauma. Like when yeah, I, when I had things yanked out, they would like tie me to the chair and then just start yanking things out, you know? Mm-hmm. And in America, it took a while, but the dentists, like they, they thankfully understood. They're like, I can definitely see why you're freaked out. But most of them made sure I felt nothing. And I was like, well, this is America. <laughs> you know, this is a much different um, feeling. But the, the work, um, when I looked at my parents, it was very different. Mm-hmm. So in Poland back then, cause I left right at the point where the changes were about to happen, but nothing really happened yet. Like I remember watching things with my family, you know, we were about to get the first president that was actually yeah. elected. Lekawansa, so, yeah. 
Yeah, so we were watching it, but we left before it happened, right? So I, I seen anticipation, but I didn't see the after effects until like 20 something sure. years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I thought about my parents, right, back then you had two ways of making money in Poland. Either you worked for the government or were a part of the communist party, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when you got things, you know, like you, you could get the taxi medallion to drive the taxi, whatever, different things. Or you had to kind of do things on your own, you know, kind of shady. Mm-hmm. So like my dad would, you know, use some of his connections because he hated the Communist Party. So he used his connections to get some, you know, of those benefits through some of his friends. But then he would like smuggle things in and out of Germany, right? Just to mm-hmm. make a living, you know, like liquor to Germany and maybe VCRs back to Poland. And my mom had a regular government job. So my dad would be gone quite a lot because he was in different countries coming back. But my mom was around the house almost all the time after work. You know, so like I seen her on the weekends. I seen her at like 3, 4 p.m. every day. And, you know, she seemed happy. When they moved to the U.S., I never seen them for years. Like they would have three part-time jobs. Because they were working all the time. Yeah, working minimum wage or below minimum wage. They would leave before I went to school and come back after I was asleep. So I'd see them on the weekend, maybe for a day. But other than that, I was just, I had a key and in and out by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I realized that so there's something wrong with the job situation in America, right? I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how can we move to this great country, be living the American dream, but yet we're broke? I don't see them at all, and you know they're mm-hmm. doing everything right. So it just it, it kind of planted the seed in my head. Like, I'm, I'm not, definitely not going this route. This this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, but personally, the biggest uh, thing that moving to the U.S. did for me, and I didn't realize this till actually recently, um, I became a kid that just stopped caring about anything and had incredible confidence. We were just relentless, you know, throughout my teenage years and my 20s. Um, and I realized that what that happened because of leaving Poland mm-hmm. and leaving my family, my friends, all my belongings, and I became someone that has nothing else left to lose. Right. Right. So that was the biggest factor in that move. You know, I just became like, there, there's nothing else you can take away from me. Like within the first six months, um, my favorite person in the world, which was my great grandma, she passed away. I couldn't see her. Oh, I couldn't man. go to the funeral. I couldn't do anything. I was like, you can't do anything else to me. You can't. You took everything. So I just completely didn't care. Like, you know, Kids would ask me even later, like, how in the world do you have such confidence? And I, I didn't know. But I realized it later on. I was like, you, you know, like you were born in this area. You have your roots. You have a lot of th- you, you have a good thing going. Huh? Probably parents with good jobs, all your toys, blah, blah, blah. Like you're scared of things changing. Me can't get any worse. Right. It couldn't get any worse. So it, it kind of it helped to give me that drive. And I think a lot of the immigrants that come to the U.S. or other countries, you know, like they have that same feeling. Maybe they can't yeah. realize it, but it's like, what are you going to do? Like you've got nothing else to lose. It's so interesting that you say that, Tom, because the way you describe it and me having had the benefit of, you know, friends in Poland, living in Poland. I mean, you you describe it so beautifully, like family, the importance of family in 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 that country. Um, and as you, as you were saying, like to, to leave, to have to leave that and uproot that and, and not be able to, um, you know, do it in a way where you get a completion of, I mean, essentially you were grieving, right? I mean, you were grieving the loss of, of this, but at such a young age, it's so interesting the way you describe it at such a young age, you, 
you processed it and you realized like, what else can you take from me? I have nothing to lose, as you said. So it gave you a confidence that was, that was kind of unexpected. But I'm curious, did you, when you were in the U.S., did you experience missing Poland above and beyond the family part? Or was it very much kind of like just look forward? Because there are some, some you know, immigrant stories where it's like look forward and just, just don't look back. Was that your experience? No, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. Mm-hmm. Like um, we lived about an hour from the Polish neighborhood in Chicago. About okay. Hour, right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we weren't in it. Like in my whole neighborhood, there was not one Polish person at all. And, you know, my parents, thankfully, they, you know, like at least once a month, they would take me in there and I would be able to get some CDs and things that are coming sure. up from Poland. And really, you know, like we could get one uh, like really, really crappy Polish station, like barely. Like I would, mm-hmm. you know, go crazy with the antenna to pick it up and only play two hours um, per day. But I would mm-hmm. watch it. Right. Like this was like my thing. So, no, no, I definitely wasn't like I I'm like, look, I, I am who I am. Um, and I'm going to, you know, um, play this game, this mm-hmm. American game. Yeah. But I, I, I definitely um, was not about to lose that whole portion. And then what happened later on is that I became this person and I see it now who is not 100 percent American, but is not 100 yeah. percent Polish anymore. Yeah. So if I go to Poland, they're like, yeah, you're definitely not from here because I mm-hmm. embraced, you know, the best ideas from the U.S. and I kept the best ones from Poland. And then in the U.S., they're just like, yeah, you're a little bit different, though. You know, like the I'm like, well, it's me. Right. It's just yeah. it's just what it is. But it, yeah, it definitely put me as a sort of um, an outsider. And mm-hmm. that made things easier in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I can definitely, it's, it's, it's just so fascinating how your experience, I was experiencing the flip side of what you were experiencing literally in the country (laughs) that you're talking about. So I had left, um, I was 12 years old, left Houston, Texas. I had spent seven years in Houston, Texas. So when you, when you think of sort of the quintessential, uh, you know, as you described, like kids in the neighborhood on the bike out, out with, you know, I don't want to say no supervision, but you spent, you spent most of the day outside on bikes, right? You were, you were kids, you had fun. That was the way we did it in the eighties. And, um, and that was my life and like on swim team and had my friends and my school and boy scouts and all that. And I remember my dad coming home one day and he said, Hey, I want to show you guys something. And he unveiled this map. Um, (laughs) you can totally picture this. He unveiled this map and he's like, so this is Poland. And we're like, what's Poland? Now, keep in mind at the time, um, in Texas, the public school system in Texas, they teach you everything you need to know about Texas history. And there's a lot of Texas history, but let's just say they don't teach you about Europe and they don't teach you about the Middle Ages. Like everything sort of begins and ends with Texas. (laughs) And so I look at this map and I'm like, what am I looking at? And he's like, this is Poland. And we're like, okay. And he's like, this is Europe and we might move here. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And we ask, I'm one of six kids and, um, you know, the kids all ask the question, well, what's it like? And I'll never forget my dad in, in, you know, in his way, he wanted to make sure that, that his kids weren't worried. He said, um, you remember the movie sound of music? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. We, we watched that a lot as kids. He's like, it looks like that. So in my mind, I know, Tom, like, it's great. In my mind, I pictured Salzburg. I pictured Austria. 
right? I That's what I, the image I had in my head were these rolling hills and, you know, these beautiful convents. And, um, and we get on the plane and we go to Warsaw. And Warsaw, for those who don't know, in October of 1990, as you're describing, Tom, mm-hmm. did not look like the Warsaw today. It didn't look like most European cities. It de- definitely did not look and does not look like Salzburg, Austria. Um, it was an eye-opening experience. And I remember being so sad because I thought to myself, I've left all my friends. I've left my family. I've left, uh, you know, the the school and everything. And we show up and I can't read anything. Um, I'm trying to read the signs and, and I, and I don't know what they say. Nothing really looks like the, uh, the beauty of what was captured in sound of music. And, um, everybody looks pretty scared and pretty sad. And I remember asking my parents, why does everybody look scared and sad? And my dad said, well, because there's kind of a revolution going on. Like there's a change of, of government happening right now in Solidarność and, and these are all things that I kind of had to understand at a very early age. Um, but it's so interesting, as you described what you're going through, it just, it all comes back to me as if it was yesterday, landing in Warsaw and slowly but surely um, dealing, frankly, with that loss. But also there's this whole other world that opened up to me because I ended up having two incredible years in Warsaw probably a little bit different than was Texas, certainly. I mean, in Warsaw, I wasn't riding bikes. I was riding the trams and I was going off on my own. And, um, you know, there was a little bit of freedom that we had there. And, and just the amount of history that was taking place around us was fascinating. And little did I know, two years later, we would move to Moscow, Russia to do it all over again when communism fell in Russia. So it's just so interesting to think how you and I totally didn't know each other at the time, but we're going through very similar experiences, swapping sides of the world. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, when I seen Warsaw um, the first time when I was younger, because we stayed a couple hours out in a different city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, very dirty, very polluted. Very dirty at the time, yeah. Um, and and a lot of beat down communist buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, like like in the city we stayed in, um, it was uh, more on the German side, right? So okay, mm-hmm. so our our buildings were. Um, <sighs> I don't know how you would call it because we don't really have it in the U.S. But if you think about uh, like Midtown Manhattan, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you see some of those like uh, not not really high rises, but like maybe eight floors. Um, sure. Very thick walls, um, you know, decorations on the ceilings. Like it, it was just, you know, proper um, buildings. Uh, and we had a few of the communist ones, but not many, not many. But when I went to Warsaw, because um, we had some family before we left, it was filled with those buildings yeah. filled and they're still up now, which is really scary uh, because uh, you know, they painted them. Um, right. But, but when you look at the news, they expected many of these to fall a couple of years ago and there's still people yeah. living in there like normally. So. And cause the, the, all of that was post-war post-war, post-war construction. Yeah. That was all Soviet influenced. I mean, is that fair to, to say a yeah, lot of that? Yeah, was it, was, it was because that's, yeah. you know, that's just the way they, you know, wanted Poland to look. Um, mm-hmm. And the scared, um, look and sad look on people's faces. One, um, people didn't believe really that anything was going to change. You know, like they had their yeah. hopes broken for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, and also, and I, I found this out later on from my parents and by kind of, you know, asking my grandma for some documents from, you know, from back then, because I wanted some um, things from my great grandma. She's like, why do you want these? And I'm like, because I just want something like, yeah, this is, this is my favorite person. I want things from her. And she's like, 
you don't understand. Like I've been hiding these for about 30, 40 years. Oh, wow. Um, because in Poland at that time, everyone was pretty much snitching on everyone else. Yeah. You know, and, and you just couldn't say anything that was not, you know, like with the program, you couldn't show anything. That was, so you got to imagine a population that's just been, you know, scared of someone telling on them all the time, right? With no hope. So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where that Polish kind of look came from that mm-hmm. still doesn't change much on the Eastern sides because look, you can, you know, pump some money in, you can make things look better, but you can't take away 50 or 40 years of someone's experience. That's what I tell people a lot. It's very similar. Um, you know, two things to, to share that come to mind. One is um, the years I spent in Russia, you know, four years I spent in Moscow, Russia, and I actually graduated high school yeah. from um, the American school there. Um, and, and when I explain to people, there's this deep, deep distrust that resides in many, I would say, you know, Slavic populations because they, they were under a totalitarian regime for many years, like 70 years in some cases, where to your point, everybody was um, snitching on each other. You could trust no one. You couldn't trust your neighbor. You couldn't trust some of your extended relatives because it was under this um, regime where you had to really look out for yourself. Um, and that when that goes on for 70 years, that's, that's like two, in some cases, two generations of trauma. And that's not easily forgotten. And in some ways it's, um, you know, they call it epigenetics, right? This aspect of what's like built into your DNA. And sometimes you don't, you don't, you're not even aware that it's, that it's in your genetic code. Um, and it comes to life in certain situations. And I've shared that with a number of people that when you first encounter, you know, a lot of times if I start speaking Russian with a, uh, you know, a native Russian speaker or someone from that region, the, the initial reaction is one of, of closed down distrust. Like, who are you? How do you speak Russian? What are you trying to get at? <laughs> like, what are you trying to sell me? That kind of reaction. And then, but they hear, they hear the accent as well. They obviously know I'm not a native speaker. And, and then I explained to them, you know, oh, you know, don't mean to, don't mean to put you off. I, I just overheard you speak in Russian or you're looking for directions. I wanted to help. And, and I kind of just say in this very quick method, you know, hey, you know, not, not to worry. Like I lived four years in Moscow. Yes, I'm an American, but I lived there during these years. And then slowly but surely the 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 wall starts to open up a little bit because they're curious. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, wait a minute, you lived in Moscow between 92 and 96. Why? And then and then you explain it and they're like, why? And slowly but surely, they kind of open up and, and, they, and they realize, wait a minute, you took, you took the time and effort to learn our language, to learn our history, to learn our culture. And to this day, I mean, like I read Russian poetry, I, I love Russian art. You know, I, I think the, the years, you know, 14 to 18 are significant years in a young man's life and to, to get to experience it that way. So I say this to people and all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. But when they do open up, they are a friend for life. And I remember the Polish, the Polish, our Polish friends were very, very similar. Um, they're much more warm, I think, um, because of maybe the, maybe the faith or the Catholic faith or the family structure. But um, initially it was a place of distrust uh, because that's all they knew because they'd been downtrodden because they had been betrayed because they had been basically, you know, stormed over from the East and the West. 
And so I remind people of that. Um, that's part of the history and the gene- genetic makeup. It's hard. It's hard to free yourself of that. So I remember speaking with a um, Russian person in Brooklyn once. Um, mm-hmm. in, in Poland, we were very anti-Russian, so it was not much. Of it. I, I mean, I've seen some around one part of my family, but we just, like, you know, from Russian and Germany taking Poland apart so many times, and we lost so many, yeah. you know, um, family members. Like, it was just mm-hmm. a thing that you just did. But I spoke with someone in, in, in Brooklyn later on. I think it was Brooklyn Heights. Uh, actually, no, it was Brian the Beach. Yeah. Um, and, and I asked them, you know, what they think about, uh, you know, Russians and Americans, like just, just the different stereotypes. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the Russians said that, you know, Americans are like avocados and Russians are like pineapples. <laughs> okay. And I, was like, and I was like, okay, why? He's like, you know, we are like pineapples. We are very hard on the outside and very soft on the inside where Americans are very soft on the outside and very hard on the inside. So, That's like you, so like you said, it's very hard to break through to a, a Russian person or a Slavic, maybe Polish probably too. Um, but once you get in, friends for life. With Americans, you're friendly with everyone, but you cannot really trust anyone because you don't know what they want. Exactly. It's yeah, I think it's, to, it's, yeah. So it was just something that they described to me. And I was like, huh, I never thought of it that way. But as usual, those descriptions are... are um, you know, they're simple, but they're also appropriate and, 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 you know, pretty powerful. Um, I know it's also interesting. I remember when we told our Polish friends, you know, my dad had basically gotten an assignment to move to Russia and our Polish friends at the time were devastated. I mean, devastated. They were like, you can't, you don't understand. Like, you're never going to come back and see us. Um, we're going to lose you. You're, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to tell you things. That, and we were like, no, no, that's not the case at all. But I, but I understood where they were coming from. Um, it was it was still only, you know, a couple years after the you know Russian influence um, had had been a daily fear. Um, so it was it was interesting to watch a lot of our Polish friends um, almost panic at the thought of their American friends who had lived lived there for two years going further east to Moscow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's such a it's such an informative time in my life to have done my my adolescence behind the Iron Curtain, and I'm grateful for it every day because uh, it shaped the way that I kind of see the world and move through the world, um, and it's a part of the world that I have a tremendous amount of love and respect and connection to, both in Poland um, and then later on in in Russia. Uh, it's also very complex. It is part of the world. And, and I think moving like that does open up um, the way you think about the whole world, right? So if you're born in America, right, you have these enemies, China, Russia, right? Like you have these enemies. You've never been there. You don't know them, but these are your enemies. When you're born in Poland, Germany, you know, Russia, big enemy, yep. you know, mm-hmm. by moving, right? Like <laughs> when I moved to the U.S. within the first 12 years, I had Russian friends, I had Chinese friends, I had Japanese friends, Thai friends, like all these type of friends, right? And mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, so I, I, I think I hate their government, <laughs> but not the people, right? And but it, I don't it, hate them, yeah. Yeah, but it changes your whole way of thinking. It's like, no, no, it's, the, the people are, look, they're scared, but they're not as scared when they move to the U.S. because no one can touch them anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, someone living in Russia, you, have, you would be scared too. You would be scared too. So, you know, you can't, but 
it's not the people, it's the people in power. Like even with China now, like I am not a fan of China, but I always try to say government, the government. Right. It's not the mm-hmm. people. Some of my best friends in my you know 20s were Chinese and they were great. They were my best friends. But the government, I don't like. And it was the same thing in Poland. We moved because we didn't like the government. We didn't trust right. the government anymore. Now, you know, my dad said, you know, like in hindsight, maybe we should have just went to Germany instead because we had family, you know, uh, our ancestors from Germany. We had the passports ready, you know, because we didn't know Poland was going to change, you know, becoming a union. But I was like, look, for me, you know, you did the best thing possible. You moved me to a whole entire different place. I, my eyes opened up. And mm-hmm. since I am a business person now, there's no better place in the world to run a business than America. So I was like, for me, you did probably the best thing you could have with that move. Right. Um, but I, I completely understand, like, you know, the fear, like when you're just raised and you listen to things, especially the government, you know, when they start mm-hmm. you know, telling you who you should like and not like, that's that's when you need to question this because, you know, it's like when let's say the Russian or Chinese government, because they're really totalitarian still, um, if they start showing ethnic people of some sort dancing around and being happy, you know something is really wrong. Yeah, right? that's always the sign, right? The propaganda. Yeah, that's always a sign. But you start seeing it more if you actually move. Like for you, you know what it actually looks like from mm-hmm. a regular citizen's perspective. And for me, it kind of was able to open up my eyes to what it looks like from the outside. You know, not being in that system. Like, what if you actually look at that system from the outside and you're like, man, that sucks. That system sucks. So, like in America now, when people start talking about socialism, they need to understand that they're going to get a very hard pushback. Like, people like my parents, when they hear socialism and they escape that, they're going to fight that till till the end. Right. Yeah. And and even if you start saying like, no, 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 the Swedish type of socialism, look, man, like you don't understand that trauma opens up and it's like you're talking to a Vietnam vet about being in the jungle, being, you know, so it, it's that that's what happens. Right. And it's yeah, it, it's a very strange thing. But, you, you know, America being such a melting pot, like you're going to get a lot of pushback for trying to bring something back that so many people escape from. Yeah, and I think it's it's fascinating, Tom, the way you talk about it, because I remember, you know, the, the aspect of the melting pot, there was there was a term that I came across in high school um, that you're probably familiar with, um, third culture kid, which basically meant that you moved around the world and you had multiple cultures that you kind of identified with or had affinity to. So, for example, you might have the culture of your passport, you know, like my passport was a U.S. passport. Um, or the culture of your parents. Um, but then there's also the culture of where you spent a lot of time in formative years and, and that sort of informed you as who you were. And so I remember, you know, when I went to college, um, and it's, you know, I came back to the United States to go to college where I spent many of my younger years over overseas and in Europe and in the Middle East. Um, I was so confused because I'm dropped back into this country where I'm supposed to be able to relate to and identify with my peers, but I don't identify with, and I don't relate to any other 18 year old on that campus because I identify more with Italians or Irish or Russians or Polish and all of those traditions and rituals that each one of those cultures had. And so I found that really interesting to have to, I think they called it reverse culture shock is what they termed it, Hmm. but like coming back into the place where you're supposedly from 
and feeling like a foreigner. Did that happen similarly to you when you returned to Poland? I think you said it was what, 20 years later oh, yeah. that you returned? Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. Big time. The first thing, like, I was being asked by every single person, you know, because I, I still speak, I would say, 70% Polish, you know, like, I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like a third grade level or less. Um, but I'm in Warsaw, having the time of my life, you know, loving it. And mm -hmm. every single person is like, why are you so happy? Why do you want to be here? Why do you like it? Polish people mm -hmm. always asking right. me. And I'm like, huh, that's not something I would expect, right? Like if I go to the US and I'm loving it, they're like, oh, awesome. I'm glad you love it. Like just some right. different culture, right? And and that thing was you know, like, okay. And then people, you know, spoke to me with for maybe 10, 15 minutes and they're like, where, where are you from? <laughs> like, yeah, where are you from? The same thing. Like, and I'm speaking the same language. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm speaking Polish to them and they're looking at me, but they're getting confused. Like, where, where did you grow up, man? Uh-huh. I'm like, well, uh, in a lot of places, but yeah, not really here anymore. And like, yeah, you're not from here. You are not from, like, they still, you know, were pleasant and confused. Sure. Um, and very weirded out that I like being in Warsaw and actually like Poland. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very, and even my cousin, she's like, look, man, like you are not Polish anymore. Um, so you're going to have a bit of a problem with people here and they all have problem with people like the jealousy and the, the, those, those things that like, I remember when we were little, you know, like everyone was trying to be like, that's the Polish culture. If you have a satellite, I'm getting a satellite. If you have a, <laughs> if you get a water filter, I'm getting a water filter for every sink. And then the next guy's that. like, I'm getting a water filter with lights on it. And then I'm getting, I with, yeah. So it's just like, you know, I need to be better than my neighbor, um, which in some ways it's good. Right. So, you know, it's, it's heating up in Poland. Like summers are not pleasant anymore. And when mm -hmm. I first went, I remember, cause I stay in the same neighborhood all the time. The building had four uh, air conditioners. A year later, 12, 20. I oh counted them because I know the culture, right? I was like, look, they're going to be so pissed that their neighbors have it. Like, they will go into debt and we're going to have air guns everywhere soon. <laughs> like, because yeah. that's the Polish culture. But it also means it's really hard to make friends, especially if you're doing better than them. Because it's always competitive. It's so competitive. Even my cousin, um, she says that her husband, and, you know, we get along now. But for the first like three years when he met me, it was always like, huh, you don't know anything. If you lived here your whole life, you were like, you know, or just trying to like, you know, just show that he's, you know, either not better at me because it's someone else's fault or that he's better at something else. I'm like, dude, I'm not competing with you. And that's the American thing. Right. Right? I'm not I'm, yes. I'm not competing. I'm just doing my thing, man. Right. But in Poland, that's the culture, right? That I had to deal with. Like everyone's kind of like, yeah, how much do you make? Yeah. Like, like even when I went to see my auntie in one of the cities and I got a rental car and I got the best rental car because I had my whole family with me, you know, so we needed something big, a lot of bags. I was just like, I'm, I'm going to get it. The first thing I overheard him saying when we were like out of earshot, but you know, I still heard it. He didn't buy that. He's renting it. Like, of course, I'm renting it. I'm only here for a week. But, you know, he had to say it just to make himself feel better. Right. Like, yeah, that's that's the culture. That's the culture. So in America, we don't have that. If I get a new car, someone will be like, cool, man. Can I check it out? Can I look into it? Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not as jealous. Like some people are, but it's not nowhere near 
what Polish people can, you know, do <laughs> in that field. And I think it's fascinating because one of the things I read about you and your background, and I'd, I'd love for you to provide a little insight here, is that you're, you're, I think, a self-described digital nomad, right? Like you're, I don't even, I don't even know where you're, you're sort of connecting from today. I think somewhere in Asia. Is that right? I am. So digital nomad is, um, is a weird term because that, that wasn't my, my intention at all. Look, when you leave a place like Poland, right, mm-hmm. everyone has only one dream to come back rich, right? Make money in the States, wherever you go, come back rich. That, that was everyone's dream. Mm-hmm. That was the Polish dream. My idea was, what if I can make, not, not just make money and come back, what if I can continually make money in the States mm-hmm. and live wherever I want to? Because after my first trip back to Poland and realizing just how big of a reverse culture that was, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good here for two months and I got to go. So that, you know, that wasn't it. So what I tried is I slow traveled throughout the world. Okay. Right. So I, I like went through term. all slow over travel. Europe, all over Asia, um, uh, 14, 15 countries. And I'm saying like three months in each one. Okay. You know, and then I realized the things I like, don't like, where I want to spend my time, where I like the weather. And I figured, you know what? I love the States for four months out of the year, then they start driving me nuts. Mm-hmm. I like Europe, you know, so Poland, for example, two months out of the year. I love it. Then they start driving me nuts. And then I love Thailand because no one expects anything out of me here for the rest mm-hmm. of the year, you know, so I can just be free and no one's looking at me like, oh, you're not Polish enough. Oh, you're not American right. enough. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, I'm just me. You know, they don't right. care. They don't care at all. So I figured what I like out of those. Like I, I took that Polish dream and I made it into something that works for me, right? And and the digital nomad, I'm like, man, I cannot do that. Let me, let me. So it's not, it's not that, it's not, I mean, what you're doing is very different. Um, it's, it's kind of, you're dividing up the year based on the, the power of place that yes. makes sense for you, for where you're at in your mindset at that time. It's very different than what is the digital nomad, as I understand it, which is people are just kind of always on the go as long as you have a connection and you're not really sure where you're going to end up next. Yeah, I hate it. I tried the digital nomad thing a little bit because I, you know, I met the groups doing that. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, the dimin- diminishing returns are incredible, right? I would At, imagine so. After yeah. the 10th country, all it is, is you're waking up in a new place. You got to find a grocery store, coffee shop, gym, yeah. everything. And it's like, and it's over and over. And some people like that for a while, I did not like that at all. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like everywhere I am, I know where I'm staying. Um, either mm-hmm. in the U S like I have my own apartment here. I have an apartment and an office in Poland. I know the neighborhood and they have, uh, the Regis, uh, working mm-hmm. spaces, like, so yep. which I have a membership to like, as soon as I come in, I know where I'm going. Exactly. Like I don't need anything within a day I'm set up. So it's an interesting balance the way you describe it because it's enough change, right? It's a change of place. It's a change of culture. It's a change of um, speed even. Um, but it's but it's also things that are reliable and you don't have to reset every time. Is that a is that an accurate description? Yeah, so it's, it's controlled change. Okay, I like that. Right. That's a good way to describe it. Very it probably resonates very well with me. Yeah, so I, I definitely like... Um, changing my environment. 
Um, and, and it helps me, right? Because I love some of the things about America. I love some of the things about Poland. I love some of the things about Thailand. But if you keep me in one for too long, I start going a little nuts. Mm-hmm. Because it's good you know that. Yeah, it's I good do. that you know that about yourself. Yeah, and it's and it's like I said, like you know, each one of us like needs to sort of um, mold things according to our personalities. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, one of the other things that I just found fascinating was your background in music. Um, and being a sound engineer. And as you were describing, even the way that you do the controlled change, I'm wondering if if it's a little bit like, and I don't know any, anything about sound engineering. I, I probably have watched a lot of documentaries because I'm kind of a, a wannabe sort of <laughs> music producer in my head. Um, but is it a little bit like that? This, is, is that some of what the, the music part for you uh, was evoking or, or a similar experience in terms of doing sound engineering and also some of the music that you, you yourself made. So I, I had only two ideas in my head between, um, being around 10 and 20, one of them starting a business because the, mm-hmm. the job thing just didn't really attract me just by looking at my parents. And then I wanted to, and, and, you know, people have dreams when they're little, right? I was like, I'm going to do hip hop. I'm going to actually release an album. I don't know why. It was something I wrote down when I was like 11 or 12, and I'm going to do it. So when I was around 16, I uh, opened a record store with a couple of friends. You know, and I started Mm -hmm. DJing and things like that. And then one day being at a house party in someone's backyard where you get your best ideas from, someone said like, hey, there's a school in Florida that you can learn sound engineering. And I was like, okay. So I dropped everything and I'm going to go do that because it was something that I thought will take me a step forward to that second dream, right? Which I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Full, out an album. full sale university. Full sale, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I believe me. I stocked that place for months when I used to live in Philadelphia. I was like, I want to go there. I want to go there. I want to go there. It was like the weirdest decision. But again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in there. I'm learning how to be an engineer. I was like, okay, I, I got this. I know how to record now. And then, of course, you know, since I was uh, someone that liked hip hop, I don't know why, because it, it, it just attracted me since I was like 10. Um, mm-hmm. And where, where does hip hop come from? Well, it's in New York. I was like, I need to get myself to New York. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting for some opportunity. I was like, how am I going to get into that industry in New York? And then, as you know, things happen in life, you know, we always underestimate luck, but it happens. There's a new teacher, a substitute coming straight from New York, from the studios that changed his life. And now he's going to live in Florida. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, you're about to understand what Polish persistence looks like. (laughs) (laughs) I know what Polish persistence is. So I, I, for those that are listening and know that, I hope they get a good chuckle out of that. That's perfect. (laughs) And yeah, he did. So he did good. He definitely did. And he's like, okay, man, like I got you an interview. A few, like he thought I was probably talking nonsense. Like, you know, that's the sure. thing. And, and I found in American cities, like people talk nonsense in dreams a lot more than I've ever found in Poland. Mm-hmm. So he's probably like talking nonsense. I was like, okay. He's like, if you move to New York, you got an interview at the studio. Well, a week after my graduation, I'm in New York. You're in New York. Apartment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and about three weeks later, I'm actually moved into New York yeah. in my new apartment and I'm at the studio and he, he's like, okay, well, well, yeah, good luck. And, you know, and I start working at the studios and I start, you know, I, I realized that it's going to be 
um, kind of hard because all the engineers are complaining about how the industry is dying and how it was so much better 20 years ago and Napster and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and it's so cutthroat for like $10, $15 an hour where it used to be like 70, 80. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of crappy. But I realized that I'm finally, for the first time in America, living in the center of a Polish neighborhood, which was Greenpoint. Mm-hmm. There is around... I don't know, close to a million Polish people there. Mm-hmm. And I can dominate it. I can wow. dominate that it. That is awesome. <laughs> and that's what happened. You know, I, that's I, so great. <laughs> I collected some of the hip hop people in the neighborhood. I put out an album and we dominated. We even had the documentary crew um, from some of the major Polish stations come in to do, you know, a show on us. And then they showed it mm-hmm. all over Poland and, you know, Obviously, my friends, family, because it was like one of the most popular things for around two months going on repeat. Everyone started reaching out like, hey, is that you? Yeah. So so we, you know, I definitely fulfilled my second dream. And once, you know, I kind of got that out of my system, went back in business. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's That's all so about great. <laughs> yeah, just just pouncing on opportunities. But it was funny, I mean, man. It gives me so much hope, right? It gives me hope because what it what it tells me is that there are these, there are, there are the dreams, but there are the dreams, like capital D dreams, right? The kind yeah. that if, if you say to someone and they say, okay, yeah, whatever, kid. And then you say to them, <laughs> I'm here. Like a week later, you told me to come to New York. I'm here. I've moved. I'm ready to go. And they're, and they're like, you were serious about that? Um, serious. Every time, yeah. like people don't underestimate me much anymore because like this guy... Like yeah. I'll come up with the weirdest idea and I'm all in sometimes. Um, but, but it definitely, you know, it was the, the funniest moment. It was just waking up in Greenpoint, you know, going onto another session in, in Manhattan to the studio, you know, tired and then just looking around and just the light bulb goes off. Like I, I, I can so dominate this area. Yeah. And it happens in business a lot too, right? Like when you just kind of look, you're like, you know, I overlooked this idea or this offering or service, but then you look where you've been doing things like, oh man, it just, you know, it pops in your head. So that was like a very interesting moment. And I think what's so beautiful about your story is it goes back to what you originally kind of opened up with, which is when you, when you go through adversity and you go through that much change at an early point in your life, right? Like you were saying, you looked at the world and you said, look, come at me, right? Like you've, I've, I've already lost in some ways, I've already lost everything. So I'm going to show up today with confidence and say, what do I have to lose? I'm going to, I'm going to take on this opportunity and this, and this, um, this dream. This kind of brings me to the, to the last question before we, before we uh, close out here, Tom, it's been such an awesome conversation. I can already see me wanting to have you for a part two (laughs) on this conversation. Um, how do you stay healthy and change? It's a question I ask a lot of people. And I think in your perspective, you've kind of talked a little bit about how you, you just go for stuff and you like see it, you envision it and you go for it. But that takes a lot of energy. So I would love to hear from you and for you to share with others, like how you stay healthy and change, especially in this world. So I can um, give you two examples, right? And, and it all comes down to understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have our weak spots and, and things that if we fixed, um, you know, everything else would go smoother, whether it's, you know, not being able to take criticism or too big of an ego or just just different things. Right. So I'll give you one example. When I was going back into business 
from music, right? I knew two things about myself. One, I definitely don't like being criticized back then. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember in hip hop, someone said something about me, a diss track would come out immediately. Um, <laughs> which, which wasn't always the best move, but that was me. Right. And I was always a pretty good salesperson. Like I could persuade people, um, but I did not know why it worked. And I did not know how to replicate it every single time. So those two things I knew, it was, it was a big change, right? Going back in business. Sure. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? You know, people often say like, you should get a crappy job when you're younger. You know, go work at a McDonald's or something. You know, you'll know customer service, blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah, but that doesn't really teach you much. Mm-hmm. It teaches you how to deal with stressed out people yelling at you, but it doesn't really teach you any skills. What I want to know is how do I fix those two things, which you need for to be successful in most anything, how to deal with criticism and rejection and how to persuade and sell every single time. And you're always in business. You can always make money. So my idea was I'm going to start trying to get jobs, sales jobs at big companies because I heard they give you training and blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. So they invest in you. Yeah. They invest in you. So what I did was I would go through and I went through about seven or eight of these. Um, I got my training, you know, they invested in me. I hit the streets, so I did inside sales, outside sales, retail, everything. I was pretty much, you know, hitting streets in Brooklyn and the Bronx. You cure rejection in a way you've never heard before. <laughs> um, and, and But I've done it for about two, three years, right? And I thought it was a win-win. The companies did not. Um, but, you know, whatever. Um, that was what I did. I hit my goals. I quit. And I went to the next company. And I learned, one, how to sell. Because they trained me and, you know, I put it into practice. But I also had so much rejection, you know, 50 to 60 times every single day for years where criticism no longer affected me at all. Someone says something about me, I'm like, cool. And, you know, I, I would move on, right? So I fixed those two problems by taking them on, you know, head on. Um, yeah. And, and that was one way of doing it. Um, the second thing I realized, um, recently, right. To really, because as you get older, um, energy management, you know, hundred percent. Yes. You know, you know, no change affects you much more if you're not in your best state, you know? So if you have chronic stress, you're overworked, you're pushing too hard for too long, you're burnt out, you know, something bad happens you usually, you know, blow it out of proportion a little bit. So now I, you know, I, I, I make sure that anything I take on, I can do long-term. So I always think about the saying, you know, play long-term games with long-term people, you know, don't, don't yeah. do the, you know, sprints and hustles that you do in your twenties. Cause in the thirties, like it doesn't really, you know, thirties, forties, you gotta, you know, think more about, about marathons and, and if you do a sprint, then you better have some good recovery after that. You know, like you think about like interval training, right? When, when, when you're young, you can just do sprint after sprint. Recovery so, matters. Recovery matters a lot. And I, and I found that's enough for me to deal with any change because if, if something just overwhelms me too long, well, then it's time to start the recovery process. Yeah. That's a yeah. lot of self, self-wisdom. Yeah. And, 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 you know, with my personality, I can tell myself I'm taking three months off. But what's going to happen yeah. within about a month and a half that 
anger and frustration and whatever is happening in my head is going to build up so much where I'm ready to attack and I'm ready to go yeah. all in until, you know, yeah. I feel like I need to come down again. Um, but it's, it's all about energy management with change with, with, with things like that, because you, you need to understand, like, you know, trying to push through, right. um, sometimes can break you. Um, and, and think of it like working out, you know, cause, uh, probably a lot of listeners go to the gym, but if they not, they're weekend warriors and they know what I'm talking about. Yes. You, you, you know, you, you go, um, and you lift or play beyond what you're capable of. And then you're out for three months. That's what trying to push through the walls often is like, yeah. instead of progressing and resting and progressing, you know, so, so life should kind of resemble a very good workout routine. I think it's so it's so spot on, Tom, and I really appreciate uh, that wisdom and that reminder. Um, I am so looking forward to having a part two. Like I've got so many questions now that have taken me in so many directions, which is you know the sign of the best kind of interview. I really appreciate you joining and making the time all the way across the world. I'm glad that look the the interwebs connected us um, because you know we didn't know it, but we were literally you know crisscrossing the same country at the same time in 1990. Um, so thank you for, for joining, uh, for this conversation. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, where can they tune into, where can they go? Um, and then I'm definitely booking you for a second part. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's definitely do it. I'd be a little curious too, to hear about your, um, your experience in your first year or two in Warsaw. Cause I know sure. people are not the most open-minded, um, you know, so I, I'd be really curious to your experience there. Um, but yeah, you can uh, find me at smartbrandmarketing.com. Um, very easy to reach. Like I have no gatekeepers. I mean, I sort of do. Like what she does is she um, looks through my emails and deletes mm -hmm. anything that's nonsense. But if they see something yeah. that's like, hey, Tom, like there's actual, you know, something normal there. Like I always see it. Um, but yeah, I'm super easy to to connect with. And um, and yeah, uh, you know, change is a very interesting topic, right? And I actually, I'm, I'm glad you booked me around this year because I've done a lot of thinking about it um, uh -huh. recently. Um, so I actually yeah. had something to share. No, I, I really appreciate it. I think we're all doing a lot of introspection right now. Um, and, and it's good in some ways, right? There's some gifts that are coming out of everything that we're going through as a, as a world uh, right now. So thank you again for your time. Um, I really appreciate your insight and the connection. It just, it's put a big smile on my face cause I'm remembering, um, the great, the great years of, uh, you know, being in Poland and, you know, that, that Polish persistence, man, that's so true. So <laughs> I appreciate, I appreciate you joining and I look forward to connecting again and doing a part two. Definitely. Let's do it. Thanks, Tom. <laughs>